0: Good morning and good afternoon and welcome to another episode of before coffee today We're starting strong on Monday. Let's call Raj and see where he what he's up to
1: yeah, My mouse doesn't work my keyboard works. My mouse doesn't work. <laughs> swats, swats.
0: Yeah, I did a Windows update and everything I was Trying to do broke. This is what happens when you live in a monopoly. I have no other choice but to use windows, even if it breaks your entire computer. Got there in the end, and that's all that matters.
1: got <laughs> to reinstall the driver with that mouse. I don't know. This one, I just plug in and it works. Whatever. Change the battery. Put it in backwards. I,
0: I, I think they just messed up the window. I also had to read.
1: bugging on his mouse because I didn't fucking want to do that. Alright, um, ready? I'm ready. Alright. go. Yes.
0: Alright. Aon Before Coffee. Moscow jails activist for 25 years for opposing Ukraine war
1: clean begins after freight train derailment and fire in Maine.
0: Andulicia accused of pandering to far right over plans for Spanish wetland.
1: A consultant charged in killing of cash at founder Lee.
0: Lavish ancient Roman winery found at ruins of Villa of the Fintilli near Rome.
1: And a Michigan paper note closes after one is dead and a hundred are sickened in a fungal outbreak. Today, on April 17th, 2023, edition of Before Coffee. All right. First.
0: It's really hard to do that really quick during the intro, <laughs> switching yeah, know, my
1: right?
0: uh, Moscow jails activists of 25 years for opposing the Ukraine war. Vladimir Karamurza has been charged with high treason and spreading false information to discredit Russian army. The court in Moscow sentenced the opposition activist Vladimir Karamurza to 25 years in prison. In one of the most high-profile cases to date of a Russian dissident being jailed for opposing the invasion of Ukraine. a sentence is the longest yet given to a political opponent of Vladimir Putin, as the Kremlin further steps up his relentless crackdown and dissent. In a final speech to the court last week, Karamuza struck a defiant tone, declining declined to ask the court to acquit him and said he stood by everything he said. I only blame myself for one thing, Karamuza 41 who Amnesty International has designated a prisoner of conscience, said, I failed to convince enough of my compatriots and politicians in the democratic countries of danger that the current Kremlin regime both Russia and for the world. Speaking to journalists outside the court, the British ambassador in Russia, Deborah Brauner, Bron- said the verdict was shocking and called for Kuremuzsa's immediate release. The UK government also announced that it. Summoned the Russian ambassador after the sentencing. At the time of his arrest last year, Gadamuza was one of the few prominent opposition figures who chose to stay in Russia. Most, including allies of the jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny, have fled due to safety concerns since the outbreak of war. Hours before his detention, Gadamuza appeared on CNN, where he described the Kremlin as a regime of, regime of murderers. 2015 and 2017, Karamuza fell into two separate comas in the Moscow in Moscow after displaying symptoms that doctors were treated with poisoning. His close friend, former opposition leader Boris Nemtsov, was shot and killed in 2015. Nearly died from kidney failure, and the first poisoning was blamed on the Kremlin. Concerns over Karamuza's health has have been rising in recent weeks. After he was too unwell to attend this hearing last month. The lawyer Vadim Prokhorov said in a statement on Facebook at the time that he was being treated for polyneuropathy. He is suffering from as a result of two poison attacks. Karamuza is the second high profile political opponent of Putin to be jailed since the outbreak of the war Ukraine. In December, the veteran oppo- opposition politician Ilya Yashin was sentenced to eight and a half years in prison under similar charges of spreading false information meant to discredit the Russian army. Almost 20,000 Russians have been obtained for anti-war protests, according to the human rights group OVV Info. More than 400 people have criminal cases opened against them for opposing the campaign. some facing sentences up to 15 years for offense as slight as posting anti-war messages on social media making the past year the most repressive era in Russian modern history. What do you know? Amazing.
1: The uh, just it can't, it can't and their families are disappeared, too. Ah, uh, probably not happening quite so severely. Okay, so, in, uh, Minecraft. I'm sorry, train me real quick. I my story so I can read it. Okay. Cleanup begins. It's from AP. Cleanup begins after freight train derailment. Fire in Maine. Sandwich Academy Grant Township. That's actually the name of the town. Sandwich Academy Grant. Wow. I want to go to the Sandwich Academy. That's where I want to go. Railway owner. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Railway owner Canadian... Connecticut... Pacific Kansas City is leading cleanup and track repairs following freight train derailment and fire in Maine that sent three rail railway workers to the hospital for treatment, officials said Sunday. The three workers were treated and released Saturday after three locomotive engines and six train cars carrying lumber and electrical wiring went off the tracks in Somerset County, officials said. Lumber and electrical wiring. Locomotives and four derailed lumber cars caught fire Two derailed cars carrying flammable liquids, ethanol, polyam, pentamethyl, lephane, both classified hazardous materials, escaped from the fire and no chemical spill, said C. Donnell Carlson, spokesman for Canadian Pacific Kansas City. Canadian Pacific Kansas City created by a merger of Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern that was completed Friday and just completed the merger. They just renamed their company and a train crash the same day, or same weekend. It's leading cleanup, salvage, and repair, working with state agencies, local fire and rescue, and Jim Britt from the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. Workers are removing deta- derailed locomotives and cars, cleaning up that trash debris, and repairing the rail line. It was all unclear how long the process would take. Derailments and railroad safety have been growing concern nationwide since February 3rd. Norfolk Southern Derailment outside East Palestine, Ohio, that forced evacuations and green lingering health concerns because of the chemicals released. Main officials said Sunday. Are you hearing me at all? I hear you. Main officials said Sunday that there was no public threat and no evacuations. The railway and state Blame the derailment on a washout, but the Federal Railroad Administration would send inspectors to site, suggested it would be weeks before details of the accident were released. People were urged to stay away from work as work continued. The derailment happened near Rockwood, a town of about 300 people on Moosehead Lake, about 900 miles northwest of Bangor. Well, there's probably not a lot of people to keep working from there. Yeah. In the forest area, yeah. It's, uh, it's all in lumber. I probably just... I think what happens with these loads is they, they all draw uh, up. But that's a story.
0: Another... another. Just keep working. Don't yeah. stop working. Well, yeah. no,
1: it's... uh Yeah, just another derailment as there's an average of two a day in the United States. Well, yeah. We cover right. the ones that explode. News, Start on fire.
0: Talking about... Spanish wetlands. Madrid says regional authorities' proposals for water use threaten Donana World Heritage Site. Spain's environment minister has the Andalian regional government of engaging in short-term electoral demag- demagoguery. Demagoguery and I've never seen that word used as a adverb. And playing it into the hands of far right by pressing ahead with the irrigation plans for strawberry farms that could threaten the survival of one of Europe's most wetlands. Water supplies to the Donana Natural Space. Marshes, forests, and dunes extend across almost hundred and thirty thousand hectares, acres or two three acre thousand acres. Sorry. Thousand hectares. acres. Hectares. Hectares. Uh, and include a UNESCO-listed national park, have declined drastically over the past 30 years because of climate breakdown, farming, mining, polluting, and marsh drainage. Last week, however, the regional government shrugged off such concerns, as well as warnings from UNESCO and the European Commission, and began fast-tracking a new law that will increase the amount of ir- ir- gable, irrigable I've never seen that word. Also Irrigable.
1: Used, that irrigables is the actual pronunciation.
0: Irrigable land around Donana by 800 hec- hectares. Like, like a station proposed by the ruling conservative party PP and the far right Vox party will also serve as amnesty for the strawberry farmers who have already sunk illegal wells there. So basically, farmers did stuff illegal, and then the government was like, ah. Uh, It's too much trouble to actually, like, do anything about it, so let's just let them do it. (laughs) They've already been doing it for 30 years. Ah, just let them get away with long long enough with something, you can just do it for free. Uh, Spain's environmental minister, Vera, has described the most move as damaging, disingenuous, and divisive. I think it's a dangerous decision because there's never going to be extra water there, she said generates expectation and poses difficult threats to the area. Nana is a nature sanctuary that is under many pressures. The last thing we need is for new pressures to emerge. Juan Manuel Moreno Bonilla, the PP president of the region, says regular, regularizing another word that is just never, I've never
1: seen used
0: as a verb.
1: Just burn <laughs> these words down.
0: The land is the only way to help the hundreds of farmers currently working the land illegally. He has also previously vowed that and- Andalusia's natural jewels will not be eroded by as much as a millimeter. A recent report from Spain's National Research Council noted that 59% of Donana's large lakes hadn't been full since at least 2013 and that the area was in critical condition Nana's largest permanent lake dried up last year for the third time in a half a century, shrinking to a small puddle. Vera, who is also one of Spain's three deputy prime ministers, said she believed that the proposed law had more to do with May's local elections, and he is keen not to cede any seat to Vox than with coherent policy policymaking. Yes, see, this is the problem. The rise of fascism, the rise of, uh, the, rise of the right, increases, the total un-activism of the government. We don't need to do anything. We just need to exist and they'll vote for us. Because the other guys are really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Word will get out somehow that they're <laughs> terrible. And no, no, they're too worried about all this stuff they're being lied to about you. Worried about that. And they're going, yeah. Wow, the government really is terrible. We never we going to vote again. Let the fascists do it. They're better at it. No, they're not. They're just better at accumulating wealth.
0: Carlos Davila, head of the Donana Office of Environmental NGO CEO BirdLife, with a lot of companies, has accused the PP of risking the future of the area for a handful of votes. Yeah, I would agree. It's worth remembering that what we're talking about here is an area that, like the al in Granada, the World Heritage Site, he said, law that the end the." Uh, Government is proposing would be like knocking down a big chunk of the Alhambra to put up a shopping center. Greenpeace Spain has described the law as an insult to science and warned that our country's most emblematic park, one of the most important in terms of Europe and Africa's biodiversity, could disappear as we know it. Mari Belmora, a left wing opposition MP, was reprimanded earlier this week after pouring sand on Moreno Monilla's empty in the Andalusian Parliament to though that has plans to turn Donana to a desert. Both the European Commission and UNESCO are keeping a close eye on the situation and have said Spain could face penalties for failing to safeguard Donana. A European Court of Justice ruled in 2021 that Spain had not fulfilled its obligations on preventing illegal water extraction around the Donana and had failed to take the measures needed to stop significant alterations to its protected habitats. European Commission, he said, has said it's deeply worried at the possible impacts of the proposed changes not rolled out, taking Spain to court of justice again. has previously said the situation could jeopardize Donana's world heritage status. Yeah, I mean, if it's just a giant desert. Oh, guys, look, a desert. It used to be a marsh and then the help of climate change and Bain not doing anything to counter it it's now a desert <laughs>
1: yeah but wow all gonna have, but 10 people are gonna have more money aren't you happy for that? don't you don't just realize what it's all about we got to make sure these rich people stay in
0: well because it's a provincial government making the choice, right what Dude. i believe happening here is Wait, if we don't open these strawberry farms, we won't have any income and taxes, and then we won't be able to pay for other stuff. This is just an income stream for us.
1: Yeah, humans are failing. Alright, uh, next story. another More humans are failing news. Tech consultant charged in Cash App uh, assassination, basically. But um, it says AP News again Olga Rodriguez, Janie Harr. In San Francisco, a tech consultant was arrested and charged with murder Thursday and stabbing death of gregarious and popular cash app founder Bob Lee last week in the downtown San Francisco, authorities said. Nima Momini, 38, and Lee, 43, knew each other, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said at a news conference, but he declined to elaborate on their connection. Momeni was taken into custody Thursday morning at Emeryville, a San Francisco suburb, and booked on suspicion of murder. The stabbing death of Lee shocked the tech industry, with friends and former colleagues mourning the demise of a brilliant and generous man. Police found Lee with stab wounds in the Rincon Hill neighborhood in San Francisco at 2:30 a.m. on April 4th. He died at the hospital. Scott declined to give details on how they linked the killing the Momeni. The chief also refused to disclose possible motive. Investigators served search warrants in San Francisco and Emeryville. Scott would not say whether their weapon was found. San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins said the statement Friday, said a statement that Momeni has been charged with murder and Lee's death and expected to be arraigned Friday. Prosecutors will be asked, will ask a judge to hold him without bail. It was not immediately clear whether Momeni has an attorney could be clear. Yeah. On his LinkedIn profile, Momeni describes himself as IT consultant, entrepreneur, as well as the owner of a company called Expand IT. In his filings with the state, lists Momeni as the chief executive officer, secretary, chief financial officer of Expand IT Inc. Described as information technology consulting business, he signed the filing in August 2022. According to the LinkedIn profile, Momeni has been dedicated to technology partners. 2005. Okay, we're talking about this guy. Yeah. Publicist singer met Momeni about a month ago as singer. As singer has an office next door to Momeni's live work loft in the British bestseller building lofts. In the, I'm sorry, in the stylish bestseller building lofts. Singer described Momeni as a very welcoming warm, and in his loft as a typical Bay Area Technology consultant. Lee is known creating is is known for creating a widely used mobile payment app Serve. Lee is known for creating a widely used mobile payment service cash app while working as a technical technology officer for the payment company Square, now known as Block. He was the Chief Product Officer for the cryptocurrency firm MobileCoin at the time of his death. Lee was raised in Missouri and had recently moved to Miami with his father but was back in San Francisco for business when he was killed. Friends described him as adventurous and fearless and doting father on his two children. I acknowledge and understand the loss of a young, vibrant leader in Rockford City and even beyond," Jenkins said at the news conference. After Lee's killing, prominent tech leaders, including tech billionaire Elon Musk, took to Twitter to mourn Lee's death and blame San Francisco, what they call the lack, city's lax attitude towards crime. Of course, you can't just say something mournful you gotta say well let's blame somebody right away with because elon musk is a complete jerk anyway just a, one of the worst people on earth i must point out that the reckless and irresponsible statements like those contained in mr Musk's tweet that assumed innocent circumstances around Lee's death, served to mislead the world and the perceptions of san francisco jake said. One person with a grudge kills somebody, it has something to do with the entire city. All right, got it, Dick. That's your Elon Musk update today. (laughs) Nice story.
0: (laughs) Okay. For my story, we are going to talk about finding ruins at the Villa of Quintilli near Rome. Excavation shows. Facility including luxurious dining rooms with views of fountains that gushed with wine. Fountain. They were getting drunk back then, a lot. Yeah. All of the Roman ruins left public was now. now a pleasant landscape of pine trees and meadows under the distant gaze of the Alban Hills. The Villa of Quintili is perhaps the most impressive, almost a city in miniature, covering up to twenty-four hectares. Lying on the ancient Apian Way as it runs southeast from Rome, the villa has its own theater, arena for chariot races and baths, with complex walls and floors lined in sumptuous marble. Both the store of the villa, whose origins lie in the 2nd century AD, had just become even more remarkable with the discovery of an elaborate win- winery unparalleled in Roman world for lavishness. Facility, including luxurious dining rooms, the view on fountains gushing with young wine. There were also marble-lined tre- treading areas where enslaved workers would stamp down newly harvested fruit, while the emperor perhaps looked on as he feasted with his retinae, retinue. Sorry, The winery just beyond the city limits of Rome during antiquity was set in what was once a landscape of orchids and agricultural land, dotted with monumental tombs in the villas of super-rich. The discovery of the ancient Roman winery can be came by chance when archaeologists from the Italian Ministry of Culture were trying to find one of the starting posts for the villa's arena. The ra- racing track was built by the Emperor Commodus, ran from 177 to 192. The later winery, it turned out, had been built over one of these starting gates. It was the notoriously violent Commodus who had the original owners of the villa. The wealthy Quintilli brothers, killed in AD 182-3, after the Imperial rulers took personal ownership of the complex, expanding and modifying it over the centuries. The fact that the name Gordion is stamped into a vast wine collection vat means that the Emperor likely either built the winery or renovated it, and that almost would almost certainly be Gordian III, giving the date of 238 to 244, since the first and second emperors of that name reigned only for a matter of days. <laughs> It couldn't have wow. been yeah. It couldn't have been Gordon 1 or two, because they were alive for like three days. They did not build a winery <laughs> in three They're days.
1: Reliable. You know what I'm emperor?
0: I'm gonna build a winery. Oh, I got murdered. Damn. Uh, At the villa, which is open to the public, Dodd pointed out that recently excavated rectangular wine treading areas. Usually these treading areas would be covered in a waterproof concrete. But they were covered in red marble. Which isn't ideal, as marble gets incredibly slippery when wet. But yet again, they were slaves, so who cares if they fall over and break their heads open? <laughs> um, that's not what he said. I said that. But it shows that whoever built this was prioritizing the extravagant nature of the winery over practical considerations. After being trodden, the crushed grapes were taken to the two mechanical presses, two meters in diameter, that stood nearby. Resulting grape must was sent in. Fountains gushed out of the semi- semi-circular niches set in the courtyard wall, grown backed by fountains with two outer spouts producing water. Grape must have cascaded out of fountains, flowed along open channels into vast ceramic dolia or storage jars set into the ground—a standard winemaking technique in ancient Rome. They created a stable microenvironment in which fermentation would take place. The whole facility seems to have been designed with both the practical matter of wine production and the sheer theater of it in mind. Letters by previous Emperor Marcus Aurelius test to his having banqueted while watching the work of winemaking going on, perhaps at a luxury winemaking facility at the Villa Magna, 30 miles away to the southeast, which is the only parallel to the newly discovered winery archaeological record. The odd hypothesis is that the Emperor and his retinue, I don't know why I keep on saying retinue, I have visited the Villa of Quintilly annually to inaugurate that year's vintage. It's a ritual and spectacular and surely drunken banquet. Uh, so, that was, uh, that, that article kind of was, uh, pouring antiquity, the love for antiquity. Also, the absurdity of having free wine found <laughs> Be like wow well, look we're seeing wine being made in real time.
1: Well the thing is people drank wine and beer in those days because the water was so crappy. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they couldn't trust the water so let's just ferment some grapes and drink that.
0: There's water in there somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah. Water's involved and we feel a lot better at least for a while. Okay now in the north woods of the United States times Randy Tuman I think I've read her story before At least one person has died and 100 people have gotten sick in a rare fungal outbreak in a paper mill in Michigan well uh, Escanaba Michigan which is northern Michigan right on actually Escanaba is right on the Wisconsin border The health authority said prompting the plant to temporarily close the local and federal investigators try to identify the source the outbreak of blastomycosis in the Belarude Paper Mill in Escanaba, Michigan has escalated since February. Local health authorities initially identified about 15 likely cases. By mid-April, that number had grown to 21 confirmed cases and 76 probable cases. 12 people have been hospitalized and one person has died. All of the report cases had been among workers, contractors, or visitors to the plant. Well, that narrows it down. Millerud is Swedish based paper and packaging company. Ah, it's the Swedes again! <sighs> I said, no, I'm not blaming the Swedes. Just kidding.
0: Yeah. Della
1: Ruta, Swedish, is Sweden based paper and packaging company. Said on Thursday it is planned to close the mill for three weeks starting next week to conduct a deep clean, inspect ventilation systems, replace filters, and test various raw materials cut, coming into the mill, which employs 830 people. The additional cleaning requires large portions of the mill to be empty. Well, I would think so. I, identifying the source can be difficult because the blastomyces fungus is endemic to the area, the company said in a statement. There's never been an industrial outbreak of nature documented anywhere in the area. Blastomycosis is an infection associated with blastomyces fungus, which grows in moist soil, moist soil and de- decomposing matter such as wooden leaves and can become and can become airborne if disturbed blastomycosis infections are rare in 2019 the US centers for disease control and prevention reported 240 cases in total on average, over the past five years, only 26 cases have been reported in all of Michigan, according to the local health agency. However, the agency noted the upper peninsula of Michigan is a known risk area for blastomycosis infection. According to the CDC, blastomycosis remains poorly understood. The fungus mainly lives in midwestern, south central, and southern states, especially in areas around the Ohio and Mississippi River valleys, Great Lakes, and the St. Lawrence River. Most people who breathe blastomycosis spores will not get sick. Symptoms include cough, sometimes blood, fever, chest pain, difficulty breathing, night sweats, fatigue, weight loss, muscle aches, and joint pain. That's like my entire life except for the bleeding it's
0: like, <laughs> My entire life.
1: <laughs> well, it's like diseases. I don't got fever, chest pain, night sweats, fatigue, weight, I don't, I don't weight loss. Well, I don't have this anyway. So as Symptoms far
0: as you know. appear
1: between. Wow. I, I got 15 other things to worry about. <laughs> Symptoms appear between three weeks to three months after exposure. Blastomycosis can be treated with antifungal medication. It's easily treatable. just got to catch it before it kills you. Symptoms for the initial pay- patients began in January, February, authorities said. A team led by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health visited the mill and. March 27th to 28th, after a request from Bill Rude. According to April 7th letter from Marsha Stanton, it's a health scientist with, with, with the agency, which was posted by CBS, the agency advised the company to make N95 Max available to reduce potential exposure and inspect the ventilation system and duct work for evidence of water incursion of microbial growth while investigations continued. On Saturday, the CDC said in a statement that it planned to return the mill in late April to offer blastomyces urine antigen screening tests for potential exposure. Participation will be voluntary. According to Belarud's website, the Escanaba mill began making paper in 1911 as Escanaba Pulp and Paper Company. Today, the mill produces graphic papers used in commercial printing marketing materials and labels and capacity to produce about six hundred and sixty thousand tons of paper per year. Still-
0: That's a lot of paper.
1: A lot of trees. A lot of pulp.
0: Oh right. I totally forgot to look up a culture thing.
1: Oh wow. You want me to do another story? on No,
0: I got something. Great. Right? Right. We're gonna read about the film director director who dared to tell uncomfortable truths, Lindsay Anderson, at 100. the films such as Oh Lucky Man, Britannia Hospital, The British Art Tour, portrayed his country as a bleak dystopia in decline. What would he make of today's Britain? Probably be simply disappointed. Uh, no film can be too personal, declared Lindsay Anderson in the Free Cinema Manifesto of 1956. A decade later he lived up to his slogan and he shot his elegy to the youth rebellion, if at his old school at Len Keltenham L- College, winning the Palme d'Or at the 1969 Keynes Film Festival, and it was his first in a loose trilogy of films that he held up to a mirror to contemporary Britain that Anderson considered to be a state of mind. I got to know Anderson in the early 1980s, says Charles Dreisen. Shortly after he made the last film in this trilogy, Britannia Hospital. Although four decades separated us in age, by a strange chance we shared a mentor. Paul Bloomfield was a writer I used to visit in Hampstead who, who 40 years previously at the beginning of the war, had been Anderson's teacher at Cheltenham College. Close friendship that followed ended only with Bloomfield's death in 1986. Bloomfield's nonconformist outlook would have encouraged Anderson's rebel rebel nature, but he had a cheerful, positive disposition and finally respected the institutions that Anderson attacked. While their two were often at friendly loggerheads, who was Bloomfield's wife, Millicent, uh yes, back, back when people named Millicent who had been equipped to understand Anderson's both Scottish ancestry they shared he called Celtic gloom. Yeah, I mean, I can I can that. Uh, nearly 30 years after Anderson's death, all the awful things happening in the world have become impossible to ignore to the extent that facing up to them is now urgently necessary. An urgent necessity. The occasion of Anderson's centenary seems a good time appreciate the value of artists who dared to tell uncomfortable truths. A precious possession that helped me remember Anderson is the copy of the published script of Old oh, Lucky Man. They gave Millicent fifty years ago when the film came out. On the title page, he wrote this dedication. For Millicent to one optimist from another. Bulging with the postcards that he wrote to her over a half a century of their friendship. It offers a spontaneous curation of an outlook. Personality that he poured into his film. I was attempting to make people think. The cast of Britannia Hospital in 1982. Photographed here in the that you can't see. A bunch of people standing in a hallway with flags. Don't think too hard about it. Uh, <laughs> the postcards reflected Answers' keen sense of how times changed. A postcard from New York, which he wrote in the US's bicentennial, bicentennial year. Offered a 19th century view of the city in which the tallest building was the steeples of St. Paul's Chapel. Thanksgiving Day, 76. Yes. Once upon a time, it must have been charming. Not exactly that today. My summing up of the U.S. is energy without depth. Of course that's still better than effortness without depth. Ne sais pas. Back soon. Not without relief. (laughs) He did not see a Good thing's coming. Anderson was fascinated by the dynamism of, dynamism of New York City, which he often returned. 1984, he was there to direct Stoverly's play in Celebration. The postcard was sent back to Millicent this time, celebrating the modernity of the Twin Towers lit up against the night sky. World is a fearsome place, he wrote, particularly New York. Fiercely and ruthlessly competitive and egocentric yet, yeah, but the kind of magic. Look at these buildings; they really exist. Yeah. Um, they're
1: just magic. They appeared overnight.
0: <laughs> he would not live long enough to witness their destruction, which is probably good for him. Even so, that probably would have been really depressing. The late 20th century had enough of his own human folly to feast his gloom. Discharged from military service at the end of the Second World War, he belonged to the generation that had fought to build a better world. Yet in decades that followed, he saw humanity that once again was failing to learn the necessary lessons for its long-term survival. Films, if, O oh, lucky man, in Britannia Hospital, were stages in a progressive disillusionment that was echoed in postcards he sent back to Millicent. He may have despaired of the capital West, capitalistic West, but he didn't find the centralized power of the authoritarian regimes behind the Iron Curtain any more to his liking dark red-tinted image of Lenin featured on his card he posted from Poland 1977, Warsaw is meatless, or nearly. Coffee is hard to come by, and sugar is rationed. I wonder how the miners will enjoy socialism when they get it. When I, he was went to Beijing in 1985 to film Wham!, first Western pop group to perform in China, found his host devious and rapacious. Like good communists, they will soon be more capitalists, then capitalists <laughs> oh and that's kind of that is true China yeah. is pretty capitalist now yeah. under their communist Republic only in his travels through what would they then called the third world did he find any suggestion of a path that humanity might better follow in 1979 he sent a postcard to Wat Mahathat temple of the great relic in Thailand dear Millicent he wrote how do you react to Buddha, person, the Buddha persona, I think he, or at least that what's been made of him, has a good deal more to commend him than that chap hanging in agony on a cross?
1: Oh no, don't insult the Christians.
0: <sighs> what would a reincarnated Anderson make of Brent today? Hospitals on strike, rampant inflation, and millions of people dependent on food banks and poor to, to heat their homes. The grim details recalls the sort of dystopian landscape he imagined an unlucky man in Britannia Hospital. No art is worth much, which doesn't aim to change the world, Lindsay once observed. He could never follow fashion, but at least he tried to warn us. Oh, nice feature on a director who's long been gone. Now the world is exactly how he envisioned.
1: (laughs) How it's always been all along. He just... Life is just a load of realization. Yeah, it's been like this all the time. We're just realizing. Oh, you mean it's not a fantasy world? Nope. Okay, this state history. Ready? 1194. Richard I, the Lionheart, was crowned King of England for the second time after earlier surrendering his kingdom to the Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI. I wonder why people always just didn't take a new name. Huh? I don't know. You know. Charles had that option. He could have called himself King Willie or something. King <laughs> Fritz, you know? King Slappy. How about that? I oh, always liked those names. Anyway, in 1521, Martin Luther appeared before the Diet of Worms, or the Diet of Worms, to defend his ideas on church reform. And the worms said, let's have Let's have dinner. In 1790, American printer, publisher, author, inventor, scientist, and diplomat Benjamin Franklin was, oh, he died. He died at the age of 84. In this day, 1790. In 1895, the Treaty of Shimano Seki, concluded the First Sino-Japanese War, which ended in China's defeat. So China got their butt kicked by Japan in 1895, today. In 1951, American baseball player, Mickey Mantle made his MLB field of front you do, if you're Yankee. In 1961, Cuban leader, Fidel Castro, forces repelled the Bay of Pigs invasion which was led by recent Cuban exiles and financed by the U.S. government during the Cold War. So Bay of Pigs happened in 1961 Uh 1956, the, con- the common form, the International Communist Information Bureau formed in 1947, was disbanded as part of the Soviet program of reconciliation with Yugoslavia. Two things that don't exist anymore. Soviet Union and Yugoslavia. In 1970, Apollo 13 Command Module carried James A. Lovell, Fred W. Hayes Jr. and John L. Swagger Jr. entered Earth's atmosphere and splashed down ending one of the most tense chapters of space history. Four days earlier, an oxygen tank had exploded, threatening the lives of three astronauts. In 1975, Cambodia's ruling Lon Nol government collapsed and the Communist forces Of the Khmer Rouge led by Pol Pot entered Phnom Penh and forcibly dispersed its citizenry into rural areas. Over one million people died in the Khmer Rouge. In 2003, Anneli Jatinmaki was sworn in as Prime Minister of Finland. Might as well sing the rest of it, which Thereby became the second country after New Zealand to install a woman as head of both state and government. Well, oh, they installed her, huh? They said, I can pull the man up. There you go. All right. uh, and okay, we're still not done. In 2014, Colombian novelist Gabriel Marquez. Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature and widely considered one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, died at the age of 87. 2008. Teen, First Lady Barbara Bush, former First Lady, Barbara Bush, wife of George Herbert Walker Bush, 41st President of the United States and mother of George Walker Bush, 43rd President of the United States, died at the age of 92. And other birthdays today, we have... Wait, and also today is Canada Day. I don't know if it's Canada Day, but the Canada Act, as known as the Constitution Act, took effect on this day in 1892, establishing certain individual rights, preserving parliamentary supremacy, and making Canada a wholly independent and fully sovereign state. And on this day... So, happy birthday, Canada. You are, uh, what? 30, what is that? 40, 41 years old, Canada. You've been a sovereign country for 41 years!
0: Really? Wow.
1: Congratulations, junior. We finally
0: got cut off the, the team.
1: Damn. Yeah. Now take, now do not put King Charles on your money, please. I told you, I told you this when I visited. I said, why is the Queen still on your money? You're not part of England. Okay. <laughs> Just going back. Okay. In this day in 1975, Victoria Beckham, well, English singer and designer, one of the Spice Girls, was born. Adam McKay, American producer and writer, was born this day in 1968. Nick Hornby, British writer, was born in 1957. William Holden, American actor, was born in 1918 on this day. And in 1894, Nikita Khrushchev was born. Wow. So happy, uh, Nikki Khrushchev.
0: A lot of stuff's happened on tax day, huh?
1: Well, it's not officially tax day, is April 15th. And I think actually tax day is tomorrow. Okay. For US, yes, because, I, like I said, I think they just said Monday. Don't make people pay taxes on Monday. They hate Monday already. Let them do it on Tuesday. <laughs> I, I, Alright, that's, that's just been not, what, yeah.
0: Allison here from the Netherlands talking about winery fountains and emptying marshlands into deserts Let's hope for some better news tomorrow Unlikely, because I'm pessimistic, but
1: <laughs> I hey, you humans. see you
0: tomorrow <laughs> for some more Before Coffee
1: And all you humans be good to each other, I'm tired of reading about these shootings, right? If you got a problem, just go cry in the corner. It works, believe me. I do it all the time. I'm gonna do it now. And and uh happy birthday to everybody's got birthday today for April 17th on Before Coffee, the comprehensive news of planet Earth and my sign fell down for April seventeenth, twenty twenty three. Good day. sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons and follow our other channels Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.